To protect our house from spiritual attacks, there are some actions that we need to take. This message is the fourth in the series, House Builders. The message is entitled, Install a Security System, Part 2. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. The Bible is very big in talking to us about our house. In fact, in the New International Version of the Bible, both the Hebrew and Greek words for the word house is translated into our word house over 900 times. So you find that word in the Bible quite frequently. And when you get into the New Testament especially, you find this word house over and over and over again. Jesus talks about your house, and Paul talks about your house, and John references in concept to the, to the house of God and the temple of God, what is being built with your house. And in fact, the word in the Greek language is the word oikos, and it's the word that really means anything that you're building with your life. Your life, yourself, is a house. You're the house, the temple of the Holy Spirit. You're building a house in your family. Your marriage is a house. You're building a house where you work in your environment. Every place that you're building something or investing something with your life, the Bible refers to that as a house. It's extremely important that we not only build well, but in building something well, that we make sure it's well protected. It's not just enough to build it well, but you need to make sure that it's well protected. And so we started talking about this concept last week, and I want to continue the theme this weekend of how do you build this security system. So we're going to lay down the very one very important foundational principle, and then five things that will go along with this. So if you're taking notes this morning, here's your main point for the day. I hope that you'll leave with this in mind and keep it in focus for the rest of this week and the years to come. Your house needs needs a spiritual security system. Now, you might get by with not, without having a security system in your physical house, but I will tell you in your spiritual house, your spiritual house desperately needs a spiritual security system. And I'm going to tell you why, as we talked about last week, because there is a thief that is coming to your house. It's not a possibility, it's reality. See, it's, it's a possibility that a thief might come to your physical house. That's possible, but for many of us, maybe that's never going to happen. But it's something that's sort of a possibility out there. But when it comes to your spiritual house, it's, it's absolutely certain that there's a thief coming to your house. Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. There's a thief coming, trying to break into your house. Now, if you knew that a thief was planning on coming to your house, it would be foolish not to have some kind of security system in place. And so when we recognize that we are, as, as Christian believers, that we are under attack, they're, they're enemy forces, the enemy forces of darkness that are very real. You can't see them, but they're very real. He's known as the devil and all the demonic elements associated with, with the diabolical dimension of life. And to know that there's this thief that exists and has targeted you and me, the response that we should have in life is to make sure that we are properly secured, that there's a security system. So how do we build this very important system in our spiritual houses? Let me share with you five things today that will add to what we talked about last week. And if you missed last weekend's message, I would really encourage you to go back online at church-redeemer.org. You'll find all the archives of messages there. They're all free to download, but uh, stay up with us in this series. Let me share with you five things that are essential to make sure your house is secure. Let me start by asking you this question. Do you want a secure house? Do you want a secure house? Here are five things you have to have in place. These are not going to guarantee it all, but these are five things that are necessary. The first thing is essential for your house to be secure that we'll talk about today is you need to focus, you need to focus on your personal relationship with God. It all starts with you. 
Because if something of the spiritual nature, growth in your own, your own journey is not happening in your life, you're not going to be in a place to provide security for your family. You need to have a strong personal relationship with God. When God made us as human beings, he created us as in his image, and we have three parts. We can't so much divide our, our being into three parts, but there are three dimensions that work together, spirit, soul, and body. Your spirit is what relates to God. Your soul is your mind, your will, your emotions, where you make decisions, and your body is the tent that you carry all this around in, and your body will pass on one day, but your spirit and soul will live forever. It's an etern- there's an eternal dimension to your spirit and soul. And so our body is just simply the tent. And so one day we will receive a, a new body when Jesus comes back again. But it's what carries us in this, this world that we live in. And many people get the equation in terms of health wrong many times because they focus all their attention on the body and they neglect the soul and the spirit. And what happens when you focus on the body and you have an emaciated soul or spirit, you don't have the strength on the inside that you need to fight the battles that are coming your way in life. And to have the strength that you need in life, you start by building up your spirit, and your spirit is where you have a relationship with God. And when you have a strong relationship with God, it helps you in your soul. You always think better when you're in right relationship with God. You make better decisions when you're in right relationship with God. And in fact, you have a better set of emotions when you're in right relationship with God. And so your soul comes into health when your spirit is strong. The stronger your spirit is, the more healthy your soul can be. It's not the only aspect of it because you have to learn certain things about nurturing your soul and God's word and God's ways and relationships, but it's vital to make sure that your life is in order. And of course, if you're in right relationship with God and your soul is healthy, then you're wiser when it comes to dealing with your body, okay? So you deal with your body, you manage your body, your health in a better way. But here's my main focus for you in this point. How are you doing in your spirit? How strong are you in your spirit? How strong is your personal relationship with God. I'll give you a variety of reasons why this is important, some of which I've already mentioned, but let me talk about another aspect of it. When it comes to dealing with the adversary, the devil, and his attacks upon your family, you need something called discernment. You need to know when he's trying to get into your house. You need to be able to discern when this is just not something happening in my life right now. The stuff that's going in my life is it's beyond that. I'm discerning that I am under attack. You've ever been in a place in your spiritual journey when you recognize that this, this is not normal. What I'm going through right now doesn't seem like it's just the, the regular troubles of life. This goes beyond that. I am under attack. Have you ever felt that before? What allowed you to sense that was something called discernment, okay? Discernment allowed you to sort of put the pieces together and say, this is not just sort of normal problems in life. No, I feel like that right now my life or my family or my business or something about my life is under spiritual attack. I'm discerning something else going on here that's, that's beyond just what I'm seeing with my natural eyes. I'm discerning an attack of the adversary. Now, why is this vital? Because the sooner you can observe an attack of the adversary, the quicker you can go into motion and dealing with it. And so your discernment skills are extremely important. And the way that you develop discernment is by relating to God, because when you relate to God, he sensitizes you in your spirit. Your spirit becomes far more sensitive when you're in right relationship with God. 
Notice 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse number 11, where Paul writes about this. He gives a number of points that he's talking to the church there at Corinth about, and then he says, in order that Satan might not, what's the next word there? Outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. Paul says it's extremely important that we be in a place spiritually where the devil cannot outwit us. He can't exploit us. He cannot take advantage of us so that we're not unaware. We're not clueless to the, to the, to the things that he might be doing in our life. We're not unaware, not unconscious of his schemes. Notice Ephesians 6, 10 and 11. Finally, Paul says, be strong in the Lord. He didn't say be strong in your body. Nothing wrong with that. But he said be strong in the Lord, and in his, in his mighty power, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against, read the rest with me, the devil's scheme. So the devil is scheming against you. You need to be aware of his schemes, and the only way you'll be aware of his schemes is by discernment. The only way you have good, strong discernment is by building up your relationship with God, and through that relationship with God, you're not only aware of things that you need to be aware of, but you're now strong to be able to handle them, strong in the Lord and the power of his might. And so if you're going to build a security system in your house, the first step in the process is to make sure that you are pursuing a strong relationship with God individually. It's not about somebody else in your house first. It's really about you. Number two, the second thing, you got to let go of shame and process the pain from your past. You'll never build a good, strong security system in your family if shame is still affecting you from your past and if pain is still affecting you from your past because the devil will play on your shame and the devil will play on your pain. And if he can play on your shame, that is by making you feel guilty for things that God has already forgiven you of, if you walk around in this sense of guilt and unworthiness about your life, he plays with that kind of stuff and he undermines your spiritual and moral authority. And so it leaves you uh, somehow weak in that battle against the adversary. Shame is something God never designed to be long-term in your life. Shame can get our attention. Shame can draw us to God for forgiveness, but shame is never designed by God to be something to remind you of your failures in life. One of the beautiful things about God is that when God forgives, he forgives. And the devil, listen closely, the devil will never remind you of your forgiveness. He'll always remind you of your failures. The devil never reminds you you're forgiven. The devil will always remind you of how you fail. That's shame, okay? And so this is the thing we need to be aware of. There are a lot of people going through life and they're undermined in their spiritual power because they, they feel guilty. They feel shame over something that happened in their life or something that they did or something that someone else did to them. And so this shame becomes a little string or sometimes a, a large rope that the adversary sort of yanks us around with and makes us feel guilty about where we are in life. Now, if you've sinned, you need to go to God and ask for forgiveness and deal with it and repent of it. But understand that after you've repented of sin, you've confessed it to God honestly and openly. He is the God of forgiveness. He's the God of grace. The same is true with pain. If you're carrying pain around inside, emotional pain, brokenness inside of you where something hurt you or somebody hurt you and it's still strong on the inside. It may not be all, there all the time, but it sort of surfaces from time to time. That emotional pain also becomes something that, that gets played with by the adversary. And he begins to, if you will, sort of mess with your life by the shame and the pain that you feel. Notice these words in Scripture, Proverbs 17, 17 verse 22. 
A joyful, cheerful heart brings healing to both body and soul, but the one whose heart is crushed, what's the next word say? When your heart is crushed, what are you going to do? You're going to struggle. But the one whose heart is crushed struggles with sickness and depression. When your heart is crushed, when your heart is under pain, it's going to create struggle in your life. You will not be as strong spiritually as you need to be. Proverbs 18, 14, Amplified Version says, the spirit of a man sustains him in sickness. If your spirit is strong, you can get through anything, right? When your spirit is strong, you can get through anything. The spirit of a man sustains him in his sickness. But as for a broken spirit, a spirit that's been broken by life, broken by pain, who can bear it? It's hard to bear that in your life. 1 Timothy 1, 18 and 19, notice Paul's words to Timothy. Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that by re recalling them, you may fight the battle. So what is he talking about? He's talking about a spiritual battle, right? Spiritual warfare. Holding on to faith and a good, what? Conscience, which some have rejected and so have suffered shipwreck with regard to the faith. Paul says, when you fight this battle, you need to have faith, but you also need to have a good conscience. What is a good conscience? A good conscience is a conscience that's been cleansed and know that I am forgiven. I'm in right relationship with God. There's nothing that I'm carrying around in me of recognition of my shame and pain from the past. My conscience is clear before God. In John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, we find these words, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. God never, never, ever will condemn you. His word to you is always to save you. God is not a condemning God. He is a saving God. He will convict you of sin. And when you confess that, there's forgiveness. But you need this clear sense of conscience. I'm in right relationship with God. You'll never fight your battles well if that's not a confidence in you. Philippians 3, 13 and 14. A couple more verses in this section. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. There's a forward momentum to your life. You're not living your life looking back. And finally, Hebrews 12, 15, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up. See, these things grow up over time. They don't just show up immediately. They grow over time if you don't deal with them. Bitter roots and things in your soul that can damage you to cause trouble and defile many. The third thing today, we're building a security system for our house, right? How does it start? You've got to have a personal, strong personal relationship with God so you have that inner strength and you have the capacity to discern when you're under attack. You have to then, second of all, make sure that you're not carrying any shame with you, any guilt from your past that hasn't been dealt with, any pain that hasn't been healed. Let me say one more thing about the pain. Jesus is the healer of broken hearts. If you've got a broken heart, if you say, I don't, how do I get rid of this pain? Go to Dr. Jesus. He's the one. He is the great psychiatrist. He's the great counselor. He's the great healer. He's the one that can mend that brokenness in your life instantly or through a process, but he is the healer of broken hearts. The third thing that I want to talk about for a few moments this morning if you're going to build a security system in your house, you've got to take personal responsibility for managing your emotions and building your relationships. And you say, well, pastor, I thought you were talking about fighting the devil. I am. That's exactly what I'm talking about. 
And why is this point so vital? Because if you don't take personal responsibility for managing your emotions, your emotions, and managing and building your relationships, what you're gonna do is find yourself in cooperation with the devil. Whose responsibility is it to manage your emotions? It's your responsibility and mine. God has given us emotions, and emotions can be positive, and they can certainly be negative as well, and God calls us to bear the responsibility of managing these, how you feel, how you respond to things in life, or how you choose to react to things. Why is this important? I'm going to use an illustration here of one emotion that all of us are familiar with. It's the emotion of anger, that when you get angry, anger in your heart and mind about an issue can create all kind of ripple effects in your relationships, correct? Okay. If you walk into your house angry, then generally does everybody else feel that at some level, right? Okay. So now I've come in to my house and I brought that spirit with me. We sometimes refer to the spirit of anger. We're not necessarily talking about a demonic spirit, although I believe there are demonic spirits associated with anger at times. That's not to say that people are demon-possessed, but you have to be aware of this battle that we face. And so we, we, we come into our house with anger, and in essence, what we've done, as I talked a little bit about last week, is we actually brought the devil through the door with us, Okay. And so he doesn't even have to find a way in. We brought him in. Kind of like say, hey, come on in with me right now. And we would never consciously say that. But when you bring, when you bring attitudes and emotions into your house that are contrary to the attitudes and emotions that God wants you to experience in life and what you, wants you to pursue in life, what you're doing is you're cooperating with the evil and you're creating an opportunity for him in your environment to take ground. It's true of any emotion that is contrary to God's plan. All of us are guilty of this. I'm not in any way condemning anyone today. We're here to help everybody, right? Okay. So we're all growing in this. Okay. So it's not something I'm here to say, shame on you if you do this. All of us have these issues. Okay. But when you walk through the house, you bring a bad attitude with you. You brought the devil through the door. Okay. You don't have to wait for something. You don't even need any discernment to realize the devil's in your house. Okay because you brought him in with you. So it's vital to understand this. So this is why you and I need to realize that when we're feeling something, and we're all gonna feel things, it's true that you're gonna get angry from time to time. It's absolutely true. Anger is an, is an emotion of life. So it's not whether you feel angry at times, it's how you handle it, right? The difference is how you handle it. Remember that, that anger is only one letter away from danger, okay? You add a D to the anger and you have danger, okay? And so anger is there, and so we're going to read a verse in a moment that, that, that reminds us of this, but this is just one example, but you have to realize I've got to handle this the right way because it's going to affect my relationships. You may have to work through it and deal with it or whatever it might be, but you've got to get a grip on it so it doesn't take control of you. Let's go to some scriptures and see what the Bible says. Proverbs 4, 23, read this together with me. Above, are we here? Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Here, the writer of Proverbs, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says, whatever you do, make sure you guard your, make sure you guard what's going on in you, because it's going to affect everything that you do, okay? And so out of your heart, one translation says, out of your heart flows the issues of your life, that everything that happens in your life starts in your heart. If you have love in your heart, what do you express to people? 
you have hatred in your heart, what do you express to people? So whatever's here comes out here and comes out in your actions. So be very careful. Whatever you do, whatever you do in life, guard your heart because out of it will flow your life, what you do in your life, what you bring into your house. Notice Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. In your anger, so it's acknowledging that anger is a real emotion. In your anger, do not sin. So you can be angry and not sin. We're not very good at it, okay? It can happen, potentially. Most of us uh, fall prey to the sin part of anger. But in your anger, do not sin. And notice this, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And read the rest with me. And do not give the devil a foothold. You got that there? And so he says, in your anger, don't sin. Don't let it stay inside of you and brew and stew and, and, and boil over time and ferment in you over time. And you don't, you don't deal with it. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. What he's saying is you've got to deal with this stuff inside of you. Was he specifically talking about don't, don't, don't go to bed angry sometimes? You know, for some of you, you'd never get any sleep, right? Okay, okay. This was the case in your life, okay? It, it, <laughs> but the point is, is that you've got to be proactive in dealing with it, right? That's the idea. It's not so much, oh, it's the sun's about to set. I need to stop being angry. Well, Maybe that's a good thing to do, but the emphasis is really on dealing with it as proactively and as quickly as possible so it's not brewing and stewing inside of you because when you do that, what did the Bible say will happen? You will give the devil what? What does it say? A foot. Do you know that some of us have given the devil a foothold in our house because we haven't properly dealt with our anger. We haven't handled it the right way. And so I'm gonna to talk to us in a moment about how to change that, but it happens to all of us. Ephesians 4, 29 through 32. Do not let, notice that statement, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it might benefit, they may benefit those who listen. And look at verse 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let's stop there. Just time out for a moment. Paul says, don't let any unwholesome words come of your mouth, only words that build others up. And by the way, don't grieve the Spirit of God. Now, he's linking two things together. He's, thinking what we say, he's linking what we say with how it affects the Holy Spirit's work in our life. If we're speaking unwholesome words, by the way, that word unwholesome means anything that, that, that causes disruption or causes decay in a person. Unwholesome that drives down, that destroys instead of building up. Don't let any unwholesome word come out of your mouth in your relationships. Make sure that doesn't happen. The only words that build up because if you do speak unwholesome words, unhelpful words, words that tear down, you're grieving the Spirit of God. Now, Think about this for a moment. If it grieves the spirit, listen closely. If unwholesome words grieve the spirit, what do unwholesome do, words do for the devil? Huh? Come on, help me out. Pleases him, right? You with me? Okay. If it grieves God, you can be sure it pleases the devil. Right? Pretty simple, right? So if it grieves God, who's it pleasing? The devil, okay? So here's what we've got to understand. When I speak words that are unwholesome and words that tear down and words that are destructive, it's hurting the heart of God, but the devil's over in the corner. Go, boy, go. Are you, are you tracking with me? Okay. 
And so now what we're talking about, how do you create a security system in your house? It happens when you take control. Get rid of all unwholesome talk. Let's continue on in verse number 31. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as, as in Christ God forgave you. So when instead of being unwholesome with our words, we're kind and compassionate and loving in the way that we speak toward others. The Bible says that pleases God, but it displeases the adversary, okay? So he's going to do everything possible to get you riled up on the inside so that he actually is, he has to do very little work because you're doing his work for him. You've allowed him in. The fourth thing necessary. I hope this is helping somebody today. How do you build a security system in your house? You've got to cleanse and sanctify all spiritual access points in your house, all access points in your house. Over the years, as I'm sure many of you had the experience in your homes, my wife and I have had the experience of mice invading our house. Anybody had the same trouble, right, okay? These little creatures get in our house and you find that they've been around and they leave marks of their presence from place to place, okay? And so there've been times that to deal with mice, we've had to call in exterminators people that knew how to deal with this kind of stuff. And one of the things that they always do is they always look for the access points. These mice can get in little bitty cracks and so they go around your house and they investigate all these different parts of your house to, to find all the access points because that's, they can't get in your house because you've closed off the access point and I don't want them in my house. It's not their house, it's my house, okay? They're not welcome at my house. I'm not gonna pay for their groceries. They can go somewhere else to eat, okay? I don't want these creatures in my house, okay? Don't write me a letter if you're pro-mouse. I mean, it's okay, it's okay. I just have to tell you straight up, I'm, like, I'm anti-mouse, I'm just anti-mouse, okay? And so I don't want in my house. So the only way I can keep them out of my house, now you can deal with them once they get in. It's called traps, right? But it's a whole lot better to deal with the access points than to spend your time running around cleaning out traps, right? Okay. So you have to deal with the access points. Now there are access points into your house that the enemy knows how to sneak in there, okay? A little hole here, a little hole there that you haven't closed down. You might say, what are you talking about, Pastor? Before I get into what I'm... About to explain to you, I need your permission to be very straightforward with you today. Is that okay? Are you sure? Okay. How does the adversary get into our houses? What are the access points? It's called your television. <clears throat> it's called your computer. It's called your music. It's called media. One of the biggest access points that the adversary has into your house is what you watch and what you listen to, what you entertain yourself with. Now, I'm not, I'm anti-mouse, but I'm not anti-TV, okay? I'm not anti-technology. I'm a big believer in all that. But what I will tell you, there's never been more, any time in history that we need to be more vigilant than we are right now in terms of what we let in our house, Okay? Because we, without even realizing it, we turn on a movie, and here is 
filth coming in and it doesn't affect us. We don't think, my goodness, this shouldn't be in my house. Or music, and I'm not anti-music. I love all kinds of music. I'm a big music lover. I'm a musician. At some level, I use that in strong quotes there. Uh, myself, okay. Um, I love music. I love it. Fantastic. I think it's one of the most valuable art forms that there is. Music does phenomenal things, great thing. I appreciate technology, but you need to be very, very careful. You might say, well, how do I know whether something I'm watching or listening to or looking at on the computer is, is, is letting the enemy in or not? Very simple, very simple process. Would I watch this with Jesus? Would I go to this website with Jesus sitting right here with me? Would I listen to this music with Jesus right beside me? Would I, would I invite Jesus into this environment? Because the reality is he's there, right? He wants to be there, but many times we're looking at something and it's grieving him because of what we're looking at. We're listening to something and it's grieving him because of what we're listening to. We're watching something and it's grieving him. I'm not talking about setting a bunch of rules and regulations and religious aspects of things. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about I want to please Jesus. How about you, okay? It's not about the rules, it's about my relationship with Jesus. I want to please him. And so you need to shut down the access points. It's very interesting in the Bible. How much time do I have? Okay. It's very interesting in the Bible that we see this very important principle of, of cleaning out the access points in, in houses. In Exodus chapter 12, let me give you a couple of illustrations of this. In Exodus chapter 12, the children of Israel were about to be delivered out of Egypt. And so they're going to experience what's called the Passover for the first time, where it passes over the angels, right? The, angel, the death angel passes over, and they're delivered and brought out. If you don't know the story, go read it in Exodus chapter 12. It's a story of the uh, children of Israel being freed from slavery. Before they were to experience the Passover, God gave them a specific set of instructions. Notice what he told them in Exodus 12, beginning in verse number 15. For seven days, that is prior to the Passover, for seven days you are to eat bread made without yeast. On the first day, remove the yeast from your... On the seventh, on the first day, remove the yeast from your... What are we talking about in this series? There's another one of those 900 occasions where the word house comes up, right? Remove the yeast from your houses. Now, let's stop there for a moment. So God is concerned about what's in their house, right? What is he talking to them about? Remove the yeast from your house. So two key words. Say them again with me. Yeast from your house. And as you begin to study the concept of yeast in the Bible, yeast represents, the, one of the basic ideas of yeast, when, you, when it touches bread, it expands it, it, it enlarges it, okay? And so uh, many times yeast is associated with pride and arrogance, is associated with sin and rebellion against God. And so in essence, God is saying, before we do this Passover thing, go to your house, going to be seven days before it happens. On the first day, you start doing some cleaning in your house. Look for all the yeast, get all the yeast out. That represents sin, that represents pride, that represents anything that's displeasing to me because I'm about to do something amazing for you. I'm gonna get you out of Egypt, but, but for, me to be, for you to be prepared for the amazing thing I wanna do for you, you have some house cleaning to do, right? Boy, I feel like I need to say that to somebody here this morning, that God has an amazing plan for your life, an amazing future for your life. And what's happening right now is you're not going to get there if you keep the yeast in your house, okay? 
So God wants you to clean out some yeast, some things in your house so that he can get you to this amazing thing that he wants to get you to, this Passover kind of thing that they were headed to. And so they began that process of cleaning out their houses, even to this day. Jewish families before the Passover time will go through a very significant ritual of cleaning their house from yeast. I mean, they will scrub all the pans. They will scrub the refrigerator. They will go through the house meticulously and pick up the cushions and look under the cushions to see if there's any breadcrumb anywhere in the house. And they spend all those seven days in preparation of the Passover getting rid of the yeast, getting rid of anything that could be, could be associated with leaven in their houses. They process they Even on the day before Passover, there's an interesting ritual that Jewish families will often do. It's the ritual where they will actually, one of the members of the family, usually the mom will, will take some small pieces of bread and wrap it up and put it and hide it in different places in the house so that the last day before the Passover, the whole family can come together and the father, all the lights will be shut out, turn off, and the father will take a candle and lead his kids through the house to every one of those hidden pieces of, of yeast and the light of the candle illuminates the hidden yeast and the kids find it and the next day they burn it because I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And so what God wants to do is he wants to take the candle of his spirit and come around in your life and say, look, look there's some yeast right there. You need to get rid of that. Oh, we'll get there. There's some yeast. See, only God can show you where your yeast is, where your, where your leaven is. Are you hearing me this morning? Okay, it's a little deeper than I normally go on Sundays. I know it is, okay? But you gotta, you gotta catch this, okay? So God said, get you out of Egypt, but you need to get the yeast out. Once they entered the promised land, this is so interesting to me. I, I wish I had another hour to talk about this. I don't. Some of you are sort of glad I don't, but uh, that's okay. It certainly interests me. Once they got into the promised land, notice what God told them in, in Leviticus chapter 14. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when you arrive in the land of Canaan, which I have given you, and I place leprosy in some house there, then the unnoticed leprosy where? In some what? So where's the leprosy? Not in the body, but leprosy's where? In the house, all right? So he's not talking about the body here. He's talking about people's houses, okay? Then the owner of the house shall come and report to the priest, it seems to me that there may be leprosy in my house. So what's he concerned about? Not leprosy in his body, but leprosy in his house. The priest shall order the house to be emptied before he examines it so that everything in the house, I think this passage is about the house. Would you agree? Okay will not be declared contaminated if he decides that there is leprosy there. If he finds greenish or reddish streaks in the walls of the house, which seems to be beneath the surface of the wall, he shall close up the house for seven days and return the seventh day to look at it again. If the spots have spread in the wall, then the priest shall order the removal of the spotted section of the wall and the material must be thrown into a defiled place outside the city. Then he shall order the inside walls of the house scraped thoroughly and scrapings dumped in a defiled place outside outside the city, other stones shall be brought to replace those that have been removed and new mortar used and the house replastered. So here the scripture saying, God says, I've got some instructions for you. If your house gets leprosy, there's a cure. Somebody say hallelujah right there. Okay. And here's what you do. What was he saying? House that's leprosy. Well, in essence, what he was talking about was mildew or things that right, we think of mold and mildew, things that are unhealthy. Okay. And so this house is growing something that shouldn't be growing, right? 
Are there houses that grow things that shouldn't be growing, right? He says, when you see this stuff growing on the wall, the first thing you do is go get the priest. Go get the priest because we need the priest to come check this out. Here's the good news. You don't need a man as the priest, as a follower of Jesus. You have Jesus, the high priest, who's willing to step into your house and heal your house of leprosy, okay? So the first thing you do when you say, my goodness, I'm kind of concerned. I've got some leprosy going on in my house. Jesus, I need you in my house. I need you, Jesus, to come to my house and inspect my house and examine my house and find out where the leprosy is in my house. And not only is there a process of inviting the priest to come in and check the house out, the beautiful thing is the priest knows what to do with the leprosy. He knows how to heal it. He knows how to to deliver from it. If you don't believe that, read the gospel accounts of Jesus over and over and over again, healing people of leprosy. So many things that we could talk about today related to that. What you've got to do is you've got to shut down the access points in your house and learn to discern that there's some leprosy there. There's a priest that can help you drive it out. I'm not going to take time to read the rest of this. I think we read most of it a moment ago, but let me do, I do want to take you to 1 Corinthians chapter 5 because I want to tie this together because I want you to see it's not just Old Testament but New Testament. Are you all staying with me today? Yes. Okay, there's a lot of stuff here, okay? Thank you for being so kind, okay? Don't you know that a little... Yeast leavens the whole batch of dough. Read the next verse, verse 7. Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Last point, let me conclude today as we're wrapping up. I need to pray and proclaim God's promises over your house. Part of the way that your house is cleansed is by praying over your house and proclaiming God's promises over your house. Part of the, we talked back in the summer uh, as a part of this Israel series, I gave you a message on the keys of the kingdom. Anybody remember that message on the keys of the kingdom? That Jesus gives us keys that releases his kingdom into our lives. Okay, so when you use the key, it invites his rule or reign into your life. And so one of the keys of the kingdom that will release God's blessing and security in your house is to learn to pray the promises of God over your house and proclaim the promises of God over your house. I'm not gonna take time this morning to go through some of these promises for you. We'll read one of them for you in just a moment, but I do wanna invite you right now, if you're on the left-hand side of the aisle, to reach down and grab that purple bag that's there because I have prepared a resource for you this weekend to take home with you. It'll help you do this. It's our gift to you. So just reach in the bag, grab a, a little card looks like this, and just pass it down as quickly as you can so we can wrap up here. <clears throat> all the way down. This has happened at all of our campuses on the left-hand side of the aisle. At every campus, there'll be a purple bag. So just grab this card and pass it right down quickly and Once you get one, if you will, look with me about the middle of the first page, you'll see Psalm 91, okay? Everybody see that? Okay, good. You can sit the bags to the right-hand side of the aisle. Once you finish with it, it would be great. So I want you to look with me in Psalm 91, okay? And Psalm 91 has been a passage that uh, my wife and I have used from time to time. I've prayed it many times over my house. I've prayed it over our church family. I've prayed it over my own life, but this is, I'll, I'll give you an example of how, we, how you might do this uh, in, your, in your own house. Again, taking time to just 
go through your house reading and proclaiming and praying God's word. One of the greatest prayers, the greatest prayers you'll ever pray are praying the Bible. Okay. So when you pray the Bible, you know you're praying the will of God, right? You can't be outside of the will of God if you're praying God's word, right? And so when you pray God's word, you're, you're sure that you're praying God's will. So I will pray something like this. So not something like this, exactly like this. Whoever dwells, again, I'm in my house, got my Bible open, and I'm just out loud either by myself. My wife and I have done this together. She probably has done it without me. I don't know. I haven't asked her, but I'm sure that she probably has from time to time. And so I'm reading out loud, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. God, do this in my house. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I trust. God, I pray this to be true in my house. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. God, do this in my house. He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. God, do this in my, say it with me, my house. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrows that fly by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. God, do this in my house house. You will observe, you will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you say the Lord is my refuge and you make the most high your dwelling, no harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent. God, do this in my house for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and on the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. God, do this in my house because he loves me, says the Lord. I will rescue him. I will protect him for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him with long life. I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. God, do this in my house. Now, you'll notice a couple of things. I'm not trying to give you a formula. I don't believe in formulas. It's not some kind of magical incantation. I'm just saying you need to pray and proclaim God's word in your house. But I want you to notice that when I did it, did you notice that I used some authority with my voice? Okay. Why is that important? Because he dwells in the secret place of the Most High. I'm not even sure if I believe this. I'm just going to say it anyway. Okay. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Do you see the difference? There's something that when you rise up on the inside, you begin to proclaim that something is true, that something is real. There's an authority in your voice. Why? Because you're hearing what you say. And what you, when you hear what you say, it either is, is bringing a lack of authority to what you're declaring or it reinforces authority in what you're declaring. So you proclaim it and then you declare, Lord, this is to be true in my house. There are lots of scriptures I've given you on that, uh, that little page I handed you a moment ago, that little resource. But you can pray through these scriptures and proclaim them in your house. What have we learned? There's a thief coming to your house. But the good news is we have the possibility of establishing a security system that protects us against, against the invasion of the adversary if we'll do our part. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Father, thank you for your word this morning. We're grateful. Appreciate you giving us instruction in our lives where we want to not only hear this but do it. Help us with the power of the Spirit of God to have houses that are cleansed 
from anything, Lord, that is unlike you, we pray in Jesus' name. I would like to close today by giving you an opportunity to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Would you pray with me right now? Right where you are, just simply bow your head with me and I'm going to give you a prayer to pray and you can simply speak this prayer out, whisper this prayer out and from the sincerity of your heart, call upon God and I promise you that He will hear and answer you. So let's pray together. Start by simply whispering the name Jesus. Let there come uh, from your heart just the declaration of His name. Say, Jesus, I know that, that I am a sinner, that I have fallen short with you. I'm sorry for all of my sins. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are God's Son. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave, that you are alive today. Now pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a new start in you. I commit my life to you in Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says that when we call upon God's name, we call upon the Son of God, there is salvation that comes to our lives. He changes us from the inside out and you become a new creation. All things pass away, all things become new. And that's exactly what has happened to you today. Your next step really is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church. and You begin to study God's Word, get God's Word in you, and to make sure that you get a copy of the Bible if you don't have one and begin to read it. Spend some time every day in prayer. And I would encourage you also to check out the resources on our website that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. You can find them at church-redeemer.org. Get those into your hands. Get started in your new life with Jesus Christ. Thanks again for joining us today. May God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you next time. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to church-redeemer.org slash a new you. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.